There are countless warlords in the world, most in truth, either hidden in obscurity or remain completely unknown to the average person. Some, however, commit crimes so heinous they are catapulted into the media spotlight. I'm a freedom fighter who is fighting for freedom in Uganda, but I'm not a terrorist. Troops from the African Union are intensifying their search for Joseph Kony. He's a warlord who experts say is responsible for the kidnapping of up to 70,000 people. Forcing them to kill and mutilate innocent victims. I'm Jake Warren, host of Undiscovered, the podcast that brings you the stories you didn't know you cared about. Stories that never quite reach the top of your newsfeed. The guy gets a bad dream that he thinks he's going to get caught. He kills half of his army and he picks up shop and he moves to a different spot. Stories that don't always have a succinct, neat or tidy ending. We've mapped the human genome. We've gone to the moon. We're going to Mars. We're creating artificial intelligence. And yet our species can't stop one madman from murdering children for over three decades. That doesn't make sense to me. Stories that explore issues that are neglected, forgotten, or quite literally are undiscovered. He believed that he had spiritual powers. This particular story is that of one of the world's most famous warlords, Joseph Kony, who was made notorious by a curious YouTube video seven years ago called Kony 2012. We are going to make Joseph Kony a household name, not to celebrate him, but to bring his crimes to the light. With this story, we're going to delve into how and why Joseph Kony received such global attention. And perhaps even more importantly, what's happened since. All right, let's get into it. Joseph Kony hails from Uganda, part of the marginalized Acholi tribe living in Gulu. Since the 1980s, he's alleged to have kidnapped over 66,000 children, turning them into his own personal child soldiers, or using them as part of a sex trafficking network. His guerrilla group, the Lord's Resistance Army, or LRA, have displaced over 2 million people and committed countless atrocities. Sasha Lezhnev is a conflict analyst who continues to track Kony and his LRA today. But he's also investigated how he achieved such brutal power. In the evening hours in Gulu town in northern Uganda, tens of thousands of children would come and sleep on the verandas of stores and, and houses there in the town. They were afraid of getting abducted in their villages by the LRA. And that was just an incredible scene. It's, it's really hard to imagine. Despite the vast swathes of evidence of his crimes over decades, the very few times Joseph Kony has been caught on camera or interviewed, he has protested his innocence. is a terrorist. Kony is a killer. I'm a human being like you, like, like, like me, like you, like that, madame. I'm a human being also. 
and I'm fighting for the right cause. What is happening in our country is very bad. He started out at a time when there was already rebellion in northern Uganda. He was a very disruptive kid. He killed someone in his childhood when he was in elementary school or primary school. And he believed that he had spiritual powers. And uh, he was also frustrated that no one was listening to him. I want peace. That is why I was in the bush. I want peace. I'm fighting for peace. After nobody listened to him, he decided uh, to go forward anyway and to start abducting people. And uh, he managed to uh, get a couple of former military people to join him. There were very few sort of willing at the beginning, but he quickly figured out how to uh, instill fear in people so that once, you know, he would abduct people, that would displace a lot more people. And then he was able to engage in his ambushes and guerrilla tactics, burn people's huts. Uh, once they were in his movement, then he, he very quickly forced them to commit atrocities so that it would be A, difficult for them to go back uh, to their home communities and, and to escape. How many spirits speak to you? Very many. I don't know the number. Uh -huh. But they speak to me, they talk to me. You know, through the years, he has built up this, in one sense, a cult of personality. He would control um, information very carefully within the LRA, such that it would look like he had some powers of predicting future events. So he would control the radio and he would know that the Ugandan army would be at X location and he would say that God spoke to him and, you know, one, we should prepare for battle on this day and lo and behold, the Ugandan army was there and so people believed that he had powers. Essentially, Kony has conned himself into leadership of a cult, masquerading as a band of rebels by employing the methods more familiar of a Victorian-era street grifter. You know, we are gorilla. We are rebel. We don't have uh, medicine. But with the spirit, they will tell to us, you, Mr. Joseph, go and take this. There have been many attempts to capture, kill, or bring Joseph Kony to justice. A man who for a fleeting moment in history back in 2012, was public enemy number one. And there's no better place to start piecing those attempts together is with the efforts of a young filmmaker from LA called Jason Russell. Now Jason at the time had the world at his feet. His parents founded the Christian Youth Theatre, the most successful musical theatre company for young people in America, still to this day, which Jason had been actively involved in. Such were the talents of Jason that Steven Spielberg had bought the rights to a script that he'd put together whilst at college. But all of that went on hold as Jason came into contact with the same children in Uganda as Sasha, who are hiding and sleeping rough in town so as to evade capture from Kony. Jason 
was looking to give back. And being confronted with the plight of these children and the seemingly unknown crimes to the outside world by this warlord Joseph Coney, he decided to make a film. And the now infamous YouTube video, Coney 2012, was born. Right now, there are more people on Facebook than there were on the planet 200 years ago. I had committed to go to Africa and basically tell a story that was true and that I felt like, you know, in a way, if I had this training, this was my one year to like give back and like, you know, do a documentary about something of substance. Humanity's greatest desire is to belong and connect. And now we see each other. We hear each other. Grandpa, I love you. I love you. Why well, won't I take a picture? We share what we love, and it reminds us what we all have in common. Dug out alive and well after seven and a half days. If you believe in yourself, you will know how to find a friend. It's a film that really captures you with an emotive hook. Hearing directly from victims. Young children who have had friends and family kidnapped, maimed, and murdered by Joseph Coney. And explicitly stating that they worry for the same fate hammers home the daily atrocities taking place that we, the audience in our comfort, are completely ignorant of. It gives you that sense of urgency and motivates you to feel, what can I do about this? We are not going to meet, but we, are, we, we may meet in heaven, you see? Because if I saw my brother once again, Jason's experience in Uganda led him to co-found a charity called Invisible Children. You know, I think it was 2009 or 10, we sat down and we always had the slogan, end a war. Like that was really our mantra. We, we wanted to prove that we could help. One of the key reasons why this film was so successful was the way in which it was targeted and distributed to certain audiences. And there's only a few spaces in the world where there is a captive audience. It's the prison system because they're forced to be there and schools because you have to be there by law. So we decided to go to schools and show this movie to as many young people as possible in order for them to care and pay attention and then empower them to do something, not just cry and be sad about it, but say, if you want to change someone's life or change the trajectory of this conflict, get involved. The charity he co-founded, Invisible Children, toured all around America, visiting schools, sharing not only this film, but also their vision. The film urged viewers to call, email, tweet 32 culture and policymakers, and it worked. The video was. When you're, you know, creating a film like that, how hard is it to simplify it, to, to captivate the audience, but also still be true to the, you know, the, the extent of, of what's going on? Yeah, I mean, that, that to us and to me is everything. It, the highest form of sophistication is simplicity. So, that was our intention is how do you sum up a 30 year conflict in 30 minutes and still be able to communicate the message? Um, I think entertainment is the right word. I think it's the perfect word because 
we all know that human beings aren't going to pay attention or keep watching unless it's entertaining. It's a stunning YouTube sensation, a true phenomenon, a viral video with an unusual mission to bring down one of Africa's most ruthless warlords. So my personal goal was 4 million and it ended up getting 120 million views in the first week. I don't think anyone in their wildest dream could could imagine, you know, that 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 that's what would happen. It, you know, it wasn't just viral; it was like a phenomenon. So this is the part of the story that you may have known: that Jason Russell made this film, Coney 2012, that got hundreds of millions of views overnight and became a viral sensation. But how did the huge success of this film? actually impact on the mission to bring Coney to justice? Well, in all honesty, it didn't very much. Why? We tried to find out. In the wake of Coney 2012, Without being an expert on conflict in Africa, you could be excused in thinking that the rise of Kony was a relatively new development. The reality, however, was that Kony had been operating since the late 80s. The ICC, or International Criminal Court, had had a warrant out for his arrest for multiple war crimes and human rights offenses since 2005. Today I can announce that our advisors will continue their efforts to bring this madman to justice and to save lives. It is part of our regional strategy. It's part of our regional strategy to end the scourge that is the LRA and help realize a future where no African child is stolen from their family and no girl is raped and no boy is turned into a child soldier. The U.S. government even placed Kony on a list of specially designated global terrorists in 2008. But what was actually being done to bring him to justice? The Kony 2012 film, with all of its vast reaching success, was also explicitly clear in being a social experiment with an expiry date. Joseph Kony and his LRA were going to be in custody or dead by the end of 2012. Now that deadline came and it passed. With the stress and attention that came with the movement, Jason Russell sadly had a very public nervous breakdown. That's not your average crazy person going on a naked, obscenity-filled rant in the middle of the day. It's Jason Russell, the filmmaker behind the Coney 2012 video that exploded on the internet. And you know things aren't great when TMZ are taking an interest in you. Whilst Jason was out the picture and in recovery, Coney remained at large. In 2013, President Obama offered a reward of $5 million for information leading to the arrest or conviction of Coney. And the following year, in 2014, the US announced that they would deploy 150 Special Forces personnel to assist in the capture of Coney. But in reality, was this just lip service to appease public sentiment? Was 150 soldiers in the vastness of Africa and the promise of a bounty doing enough 
or was it even the right thing to do? I mean, the end of 2014, like it killed me. I died inside having to leave Invisible Children, not having, you know, brought Coney to justice. You know, I never thought it would end like that. You know, I'm an idealist. I am an optimist. I thought, no, surely, surely the story doesn't end like this, you know. Ultimately, what Jason had created was arguably one of the most successful brand awareness campaigns ever. He had managed to harness a millennial-led sense of outrage and injustice with the world we inhabit. The issue was how to apply this in a meaningful and impactful way. We're on a mission, put you gotta deep inside your mind. And this is where Jason and Invisible Children draw most of their criticism. Creating viral videos and channeling Zac Efron in High School Musical, how does that translate to physically stopping a warlord half the world away? Author and adventurer Robert Young Pelton has dedicated his life to traveling to the world's most dangerous places and inserting himself into the front lines of war, all while dispensing advice to his viewers and readers on how to come back alive. So enter Robert Young Pelton, better known as RYP, an adventurer, an explorer, a filmmaker with a history of finding people who don't necessarily want to be found. He has led hunts for bin Laden, embedded with the Taliban, and been kidnapped by Colombian FARC rebels. Basically, if you're a designated terrorist somewhere in the world, chances are you're in his phone book. RYP already had some experience with Coney from the early 90s and had tracked down the last person to have seen him alive, but didn't really understand the message behind Coney 2012 that Jason Russell and the Invisible Children were trying to get out there. I kept wondering, why, why is this resonating? You know, why is this warlord who hasn't been really active for 10, 15 years, um, suddenly, you know, top of the pops and... Um, engaging all these young people who have no idea, you know, where Uganda is or who Joseph Kony is, and the idea is to make them famous. And I thought, wow, this is just really bizarre, but it, it also resonated with a lot of hysteria. I think the ICC, like President Obama, like Jason Russell, was hungry for publicity, that, that this was a viral activity. There wasn't a lot of depth to why Joseph Kony was the baddest guy in Africa. And it just seemed like a good thing to do at the time. He didn't even think Joseph Kony was that bad if you compared him to other warlords and terrorists from around the globe. His crimes seemed to pale in comparison. Is Joseph Kony causing as many problems as rebel groups in the Congo or East or West or Al-Shabaab or pirates? Of course not. Then there's the question of money. In terms of the amount of resources we spent, I mean, literally, the U.S. government spent $800 million looking for Joseph Kony. And Joseph Kony was not found. Invisible children raised millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And when I asked them point blank, what have you spent looking for Joseph Kony? They said, well, that's not our job to look for Joseph Kony. If that was a business model, you'd probably go to jail, you know, because everybody thinks that you're trying to get rid of Joseph Kony. In actual fact, you're perpetuating this bizarre 
let's take these child soldiers and let's bring them out of the bush and rehabilitate them. But they're also child soldiers and they're also murderers. So shouldn't you also punish them and put them on trial? You know, like bizarre moral ambiguity of the whole process. Jason Russell and the Visible Children raised over $30 million. And the majority of that was spent, it seems, mostly on pursuing their activism and taking their message and the Coney 2012 film to schools throughout America and trying to keep Coney in the public consciousness. But RYP had another idea on how that money should have been spent. I said, hey, you know, crowdfund me and I'll go get Joseph Coney. And it blew people's minds. Here's RYP's mission statement from the accompanying video of his crowdfunding campaign. What we're trying to do is not use people's misery as entertainment. We're trying to actually solve their problems. We're trying to engage you as an active media concept. You tell us where to go, what we should do, and how we should solve it, and we'll show you how it's done. We're not just going to... And I was basically making fun of visible children, saying that, well, hey, you know, if there's a bounty for this guy and you, you want to toss money at saving the world, well, give it to me and I'll actually go find it. Social media is an amazing thing. A, a video that tugs at somebody's heartstring can go viral. But when you look past that marketing program and you look at how much money actually goes on the ground, you'd be shocked. And the good thing about social media is that we can tell you exactly what it's going to cost. So every dollar you put in goes directly towards that solution. It's safe to say RYP was pretty confident of tracking Coney down. But how exactly was he planning to go about it? I literally had to pay a pilot $17,000 to drop me behind enemy lines. And I had to either buy or rent a truck to get me to the next place. So if we meet, it's going to be in a very remote place. And I'm going to have to hire a very good pilot, of which there are many, uh, to just drop me. And I'll either have to hike out or a pilot come and pick me up. But it definitely won't be one of those rubber stamps, get your visa, tell everybody what you're doing thing. I wouldn't ask you to go into too much detail, but do you have a kind of crystallized idea of, of what you're going to do to go and meet Joseph yeah, Coney? The people that I have on the ground, they know Coney's people well. They know where the military is. They know where you can cross the border. I mean, it's, it's the back end of nowhere. This place that RYP is negotiating to get access to is a terrorist hotspot with no rule of law. He has friends there. My people who are there with a number of rebel groups that are literally have to check in their weapons before they go shopping in the marketing sangha. So it is like the bar scene in Moss Eisley. Moss Eisley is a Star Wars reference, by the way. It's a place where you would hear some interesting music, described in the film as somewhere that you will never find, will never find a more wretched hive, hive of scum, scum and villainy. And villainy where you have every possible type of illegal or criminal group mingling because they're not chased down there and, and they can go in and get supplies. So RYP had a plan. The problem was he needed a lot of money to go and find Coney. Now he tried to crowdfund $450,000 and he ended up raising 10,000. So RYP wasn't going anywhere. But maybe there was a third way to get Coney one that used data to lead the world right to him, rather than relying on social media awareness or a bag full of money. My name is JJ Kelly, and I'm a producer and director with National Geographic. Now, suffice to say, JJ wasn't looking to put Joseph Coney on the front page of National Geographic. I mean, I never set out to make a film about Joseph Coney. We set out to make a film about elephant ivory. 
JJ wanted to show, beyond doubt, where and how the illegal ivory trade was moving throughout Africa. And they decided on a bold new way of doing just that. What if we could make fake ivory tusks that had the ability to track, just like you'd use if you were going after a criminal? Just like the DEA uses if they're going to find someone dealing in cocaine. Well, what if we could get that into the hands of one of the darkest areas in the heart of Africa and, and see where it goes, see where it ends up? Essentially creating a honey trap plot to ensnare criminal groups or perhaps even an unsuspecting warlord. You know, did you have any inclination that it was going to be Joseph Coney? You know, not at all. Not at all. No, I mean, we'd heard rumors of a path north. And that would go up from the Congo through South Sudan into Sudan and then potentially out of Khartoum, which also is where the Chinese are building very large ports and airports as well. And for a while, we only had a dot and that, that the dot's kind of failure, right? But then curiously, we started to see the dot turn into a line, but it was moving very slowly. And that told us that they're probably going on foot. You, I guess, inadvertently provided some of the most up-to-date or most you know, accurate information as to exactly where Joseph Kony was in real time. Yeah, and that is a disputed region of Sudan that most intel groups think that Joseph Kony is hiding out. So JJ and his team returned to the area and started speaking to locals, abductees, and former child soldiers about what they'd seen. Then the Tusks did a very interesting thing, and they, they continued on in the direction of Khartoum. You know, that bolsters our suspicion that Joseph Kony is trading ivory for weapons. So why has this notorious warlord, who bills himself as a freedom fighter, moved into killing elephants and trafficking their ivory. JJ and others believe he is getting this ivory from Garamba National Park, which is situated at the very northeastern tip of the Democratic Republic of Congo. So we knew of about four different rebel groups that were using this park as a piggy bank for wildlife. And it's where the last northern white rhino was. Uh, it still is an amazing park, but it used to be teeming with wildlife. It's got this beautiful elephant grass. It's, you know, six and a half, seven feet tall. Looks like the Maasai Mara in Kenya, if you've, if you've ever seen photos of that. Just absolutely stunning. Sadly today, what was a beautiful wildlife reserve is now referred to as the killing fields of Africa. It once boasted a population of over 22,000 elephants, whereas now, on a good day, there's roughly 1,300. Yeah, it's one of the saddest parks that I've ever seen. What we heard from the park manager at the time was, if we can just hold on to a stable enough number where, you know, when the killing stops, if there ever is an end to the killing, we at least have enough left to reproduce and make viable offspring that we've succeeded. But they're really just standing at the perimeter of shrinking ground. 
It seems insane that Joseph Coney and other criminal groups can lay siege to a wildlife park. Murdering animals for money and the default position of the world is to simply shrug their shoulders and cross their fingers that they just stop. Since we've been there, the soldiers that we embedded with, and it was a small group of men, this little platoon, four of those men have been killed on the front line. I mean, these are, you think of a park ranger and you think of somebody, you know, that's yeah, giving informational talks and occasionally picking up popcorn. Uh, yeah, these men have AK-47s, uh, they're soldiers. Now that the U.S. has pulled out, the Ugandans have pulled out, and just the park rangers are left. So the confusing thing is, you know, mm-hmm. Joseph Kony, who is, is a warlord who has been indicted by the International Criminal Court, you know, 66,000 mm-hmm. child soldiers, millions of people displaced, you know, human mm-hmm. rights abuses, you know, almost every possible atrocity committed under the sun. And mm-hmm. we didn't particularly do anything about it. And then now we mm-hmm. find out that it's even worse because he's now funding that criminality through murdering elephants and ivory trafficking. It seems very bizarre that still no one seems to be doing anything. I think people want to do something, but it is a needle in a haystack. We heard from people on the ground, the guy gets a bad dream that he thinks he's going to get caught. He kills half of his army and he picks up shop and he moves to a different spot. He's dealing in elephant ivory because he can't go to an ATM. He's in the woods and that's a source of funding. It's worth a tremendous amount on the Asian market and the U.S. market. And that's where he can get his funding. But but he, he moves around and, and he lives in this wild space. And, you know, we talked to folks in the U.S. government that were over there and they were trying to find this guy. These are Green Berets. And they're like, fuck, man. They're like, we, we, we can't find him. But, you know, we, the only way to find him is just to destroy everything in the path um and we we heard from green berets that you know that's what some of them personally thought that should be done knowing what we know now what did jason the creator of the coney 2012 viral phenomenon make of it all well he's still pretty frustrated we've mapped the human genome we've gone to the moon we're going to mars we're creating artificial intelligence And yet our species can't stop one madman from murdering children for over three decades. That doesn't make sense to me. And and have you accepted the end to that story? Or do you still think that by some chance we're going to get Joseph Coney? I don't accept the end of that story. I refuse to. I never will. If there was something else I could do, I would do it. I would do it. But what is it that I'm supposed to do now, especially when... A lot of the world is like, just go away and shut up. (laughs) As social experiments go, Jason had created probably one of the most successful. He got millions of people to stand up and demand change for injustice on the other side of the world that most people would have been blissfully unaware of. However, the end of that experiment didn't result in any change. So in Jason's mind, was it a success? I view... Coney being removed from the battlefield as a failure. That is a total failure. Coney 2012's mission was singular in making Coney famous. We knew that we could make him famous if we tried hard enough, and we did. But the experiment didn't work in terms of 
removing him from the battlefield, which was the second, you know, kind of goal that we relied on the governments of the world and their military power to do, to execute. He is not high enough of a priority on the list because he only has 200 fighters and he's killing people that don't matter. That's the truth of it. He's killing and abducting African children and women that do not matter on a socioeconomic scale. So by Jason's own admission, the goal of stopping Coney had failed miserably. But in his defence, how could he do that? We are led to believe that public sentiment and appetite is what shapes the agenda of our politicians. But throwing money from governments at the situation hadn't worked either. We spent $800 million looking for Joseph Coney. $800 million to find this middle-aged man who's living in the jungle. Now think about that. Now is that juju or what? If we were to use intelligence and put money in the right spots, we would find all these people very quickly. So if the right people, the right governments, decided tomorrow to actually go in and either kill or capture Joseph Kony, could they do it? Yeah, it's been almost done before by mercenary friends of mine. So was there actually an unwillingness to bring Kony to justice or just incompetence on the ground? The efforts that I saw... You know, and nothing to take away from the people that were trying to stop him because they were incredibly courageous. But it, it seemed to me that they didn't have the resources. I mean, there were these little tents that were put up. There were a couple of helicopters. But it is this massive swath of wilderness. Like if you actually have that objective of taking this guy down, you have to put more resources in than 65 Green Berets and, you know, some people from the Ugandan army. It, it just it was not nearly enough. And it was it was a waste of resources and a waste of money to think that they would actually be successful. And that's heartbreaking to say, and, and maybe they would have got him. But he was so far away from where these guys were located. And it was such thick, impenetrable wilderness that I don't know how they would have succeeded unless they would have had some incredible intel. One of the most confusing elements of the continuing Kony saga is what exactly does he want? How has a Ugandan rebel gone from seeking power in his homeland to ivory trafficking thousands of miles away? Sasha Lezhnev, the analyst we heard from earlier, feels he knows why. I don't actually believe that he has ever really uh, had the vision to take power. I think that this is really a smokescreen so that he could play God. Uh, in fact, he does play God in his fiefdom um, that, that he controls, right? He, he's had up to 70 plus wives. He controls information such that it makes it look like he can predict the future. Uh, so many people surrounding him are children and youth, and so they look up to him in one way or another, if only through fear. And uh, he often decides you know, who lives and who dies. So if Kony is nothing more than a maniacal cult leader with no real agenda, RYP believes that fact perpetuates an idea of Africa that people want to believe in. We wonder why Joseph Kony was so famous and why his video went viral. It's depressing because it was all meant to entertain a certain viewpoint of Africa. They lay credit for, you know, decimating his organization, for repatriating X number of children, but two guys with a gun can walk into a village and kidnap 50 kids, and now you've got your porters and you've got your trainee soldiers and your sex slaves, and that took 15 minutes. What do you think the future?
future holds for Joseph Kony. We viewed Kony 2012 as a key to a door that unlocked ideas of conflicts in Africa, child soldiers, abduction, displacement, international justice, those concepts we wanted to unlock and then have people get into the room and start exploring the house. Um, for Joseph Coney, I do think his days are numbered. Through that experience, meeting soldiers that are looking for him and the individuals that were abducted by him or, or ran away from him, who used to kill for him, um, and, and seeing this very small group of people, militarized people trying to find him, uh, you know, a very, very small amount of resources, very far away from where he was in an area that they really couldn't go. You know, where Joseph Coney was, they couldn't even go there. Um, and now seeing that they're gone, I mean, I don't think that things look good at all. He's old, you know, hopefully he just dies of natural causes soon because I don't think anybody's going to find him. In April 2017, the US government declared the hunt for Kony largely over. One month later, Uganda followed suit, ending their search and claiming they had been successful. Despite this bold statement, as of early 2019, Kony still remains at large, free to carry out his atrocities with little to no repercussions. Sasha Lezhnev, who still monitors Kony's activity, says, Kony remains active in the Central African Republic, though the number of his attacks and abductions continues to slow down. Kony and the LRA continue to be involved in the illicit trade in ivory, gold, diamonds and ammunition and are still largely hiding in the Sudan-controlled Kafir Kingi enclave. JJ Kelly tells us that since his investigation, ivory has been completely banned in the United States and hopefully that may impact on Kony's ability to make money. Invisible Children tell us they've raised over $40 million for LRA-affected communities, and their funding continues through until 2022. RYP is still very much planning to head out and spend time with Kony and his followers. He's even invited me along. Although the ICC warrant for Kony's arrest from 2005 remains active, where he has been indicted on 12 counts of crimes against humanity and 21 counts of war crimes, it seems honestly that no one is willing or indeed able to bring Kony to justice. In truth, it is unlikely that he will ever face his day in court. If you want more information on the stories that this show has covered, be sure to check out Message Heard on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Jake Warren, produced and edited by Sandra Ferrari, with additional editing support from Matt Hill and George McDonough, and original music from Matt Huxley. If you haven't already, Subscribe to Undiscovered on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get yours.